Welcome to this podcast in a series of five podcasts for this year's Spectator Economic Innovator of the Year Awards, sponsored by Investec. I'm Martin van der Weer, I'm the business editor of The Spectator, and I'm one of the founders of these awards, which are now in their sixth year. Each year since 2018, we have travelled the country, north and south, east and west, in search of the most exciting, the boldest, new ventures, entrepreneur-led, high-growth UK businesses that are innovating and disrupting in their respective industries and sectors. Listeners to this series will have heard about businesses in every kind of field, from consumer goods to advanced health technology and energy technologies, sustainability and social purpose to the fore in many of them. But behind every business, there's another set of businesses which offer services that help businesses run more efficiently. Those are the kind of businesses that are now making advances in artificial intelligence, for example, and uses of big data. Now, the UK has a great history in artificial intelligence, in computer science. We can claim Alan Turing, we can claim Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the World Wide Web. But how are we doing these days? Are we still at the cutting edge? Well, we'll give you some examples today that I hope will persuade you that British entrepreneurs really are at the cutting edge in this sector, business services and uses of artificial intelligence. We tend to get through in this category, and I have with me three judges to help me talk about them. I'll introduce them one by one, starting with our sponsor from Investec, represented by Michelle White. Thanks, Martin. Yes, Investec are the proud sponsors of the Economic Innovator Awards for the second year running now. As a firm founded by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs, we've been long-term supporters of business owners internationally and here in the UK, both on our specialist banking side as well as wealth management. I'm representing our Investec Wealth and Investments UK business today, which we've recently merged with the Rathbones Group meaning we're now in 23 towns and cities across the UK, so supporting entrepreneurs and their ventures north to south, right across the country. So it's been absolutely brilliant to meet all the companies and tour with you again this year and look forward to discussing some of the AI and business services companies in more detail today. Thank you very much. And our two guest judges with us today. I'll just invite them to say hello and say one sentence about themselves, starting with Melissa Reedman. Thank you. So my name is Melissa Reedman and I am a partner at ESM Investments. We are a syndicate of angel investors. We are sector agnostic, but we definitely have a, a strong technology bias. I'm delighted to be part of the programme today. Thank you very much. And Caroline Theobald. Hello, it's a delight to be involved in this for another year. I, my name is Caroline. I'm the founder and managing director of Bridge Club Limited, which does what it says on the tin, connects people for mutual advantage, mainly startups with the people who can help grow their businesses. Very good. Thank you very much. So we're going to rattle through 10 of the entries for this year's awards. I've grouped them into three groups to make it a little easier. 
We've got some that are to do with the movement of physical goods. That's supply chain issues and fulfilment issues. There are three of those. We've got a couple that are to do with video technology and screen technology. And one in particular, which is applying artificial intelligence to take text to video in a very clever way. And then we've got a whole group that are providing other kinds of what you might call office-based back office services for any kind of business that needs legal help, marketing help, and so on. So we'll do them in those groups to make it easier. And I'm going to start with two that have a sort of visual aspect to them. One is called Igloo Vision, and it's about immersive spaces using wraparound screens for marketing, for training, for educational purposes, creating a completely immersive video-walled room. The other one is called Synthesia, and it's the one that uses AI for video creation. But let's start with Igloo Vision. Caroline, I think this one caught your eye. What was interesting to you about Igloo Vision? Well, I... When I started looking at it, I thought it was sort of quite an expensive but very clever way of um, using immersive technology to bring things alive in corporates and to be able to work around the world. But then um, I, I think the founder was talking about how it could be used in education. And actually, for particularly for disadvantaged um, young people who've never been to Paris, really help them learn different languages by sort of dropping them into the streets of, of Paris. I thought, this is, this is really interesting stuff. And it, it fulfills that the potential, which I'm really interested in. My sort of mantra is that people do business with people. And I think a lot of the sort of AI sort of business services thing isn't very human. But just in that space, it became human. And I've become aware of something that's been founded by my friend Di Gates up in the Northeast called the human connection. One of the things that happened in the pandemic was that people got sort of displaced because, of course, they couldn't come into a workplace. And it's really important. We'll talk about this again, I think, when we get on to the, perhaps the Habu discussion. It's really important that people still have an important place to play in our world. And I think Igloo's got something, particularly how it's bought the world alive to people who otherwise might not see it. Good. Well, thank you very much. I think that's a very vivid description of an interesting business. The other one in that little group, as I say, is called Synthesia. It really is a leader in taking text, even just email text, using avatars and creating video with avatars. That's quite a scary concept in a way. Uh, that really is cutting-edge AI, and it's quite a big business. This is one of the bigger businesses that applied for our awards this year. I'm going to ask Michelle if she had a, had a comment to make on Synthesia. Yes, I mean, this is um, absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It was a great presentation, and you know, lots of the listeners will have heard of this company. I think they've recently announced that they've actually reached unicorn status, so certainly one of the largest companies we've had apply this year. In simple terms, they describe their goal as trying to allow anyone to create a Hollywood-grade movie on their laptop, which, as you say, sounds 
incredible and scary at the same time. I'm not sure what Hollywood think of that. But incredible number of clients and story of success so far. They've partnered with huge companies and huge stars, actually, to use this AI to further develop the sector. It's really hitting the sort of zeitgeist, I suppose, of AI and um, video creation these days. They've talked about partnering with Pepsi to generate personalised videos with Messi in the football world, turning David Beckham into an avatar and him speaking in nine languages to the audience there. I think they can create videos in up to 120 languages. So you can see they're really pushing the boundaries here in terms of global expansion very quickly and, um, yeah, huge amount of momentum here. So you can see this going from strength to strength. They're currently used by over 15,000 companies worldwide, so that really is a a big and fast-growing business. And they say they truly believe in the good that generative AI has to offer. So though we sometimes think of it as scary, they are doing something rather extraordinary, which doesn't need cameras, it doesn't need microphones or studios, it just creates the video Mm. through AI. There we are, so that's that's Synthesia. So let's move on to uh, the group that I described as kind of office-based business, things that help businesses do a better job in all sorts of respects. These range from legal services to clever ideas to do with advertising. And let's start with one of those. The company is called Good Loop, and I'm going to ask Melissa to describe it and then say why it caught her eye. Thank you. So yes, good loop. I think this this caught my eye because it is a, a problem that I have. And I think a lot of our, our listeners will, will recognize it and maybe the judges. Essentially, it's turning those irritating adverts that we get pop up on the internet, whether it's, you know, assuming the likes of Facebook, for example, those adverts that drive you potty and interrupt your viewing on what you're doing. Now, you know, accepting that this is the cost so to speak, of the, the free internet, the cost is your attention and your eyeballs. Nonetheless, I don't know anybody that's told me this is a good thing. And what Goodloop have done is they've actually turned this into a positive by asking you to watch the advert. And if you do so, a donation will be made to a charity. And apparently they're reporting between two and four times the attention span on these adverts than traditional forms of online advertising. So. Why did it catch my eye? Well, it's a problem I I get, but I really like the idea of turning one of these now, I guess, at some point unforeseen problems with the internet into something really positive. There's also a green element to this, which is the amount of power that's wasted in generating internet usage. But by targeting adverts in such a way, it means there doesn't need to be quite as many adverts because there's not as many wasted adverts. Therefore, power consumption is reduced. So it just to me seems like a really good all-round circular process that's addressed one of the problems that's come out of this wonderful technology. Thank you very much, Melissa. We have seen this company before. It was an entrant a few years ago. It's grown very much. It, It tells us its clients include L'Oreal, Nike, Levi's, Adidas, and so on, all the sort of brands that would also be very conscious of their social profile, as it were, and their social impact. Unilever, Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream, which I think is owned by 
Unilever, if I'm correct, would be the perfect example of the sort of brand that would like the idea that if we watch their ads to the end, there's going to be a charity donation. The charities include Save the Children, Water Aid, NSPCC, World Wildlife Fund, and so on. So that is a clever intervention in the advertising business. Let's pick another one out of this section. Comply Advantage is a financial crime intelligence organisation providing financial institutions and other businesses with information they need to detect money laundering, fraud and so on. Data-driven, AI and machine learning-driven, a very necessary service for a lot of businesses in your industry. Michelle, yes. what did you think of that one? Yeah, this was impressive, obviously a, a, a very good business built already. Their three priorities were helping companies to identify whether people and potential clients are who they claim to be, are they safe to do business with, and do they continue to be safe to do business with? And those are three huge questions for us whenever we start to deal with any type of customer or client. They leave the responsibility for doing identification verification with the financial institution, which makes sense because that would be a huge risk for them to take on, but they make the rest of the onboarding process for us much more simple. So you can see there'd be a huge demand for this, um, and hence they've captured, I think, over 1,000 corporate clients to date. So reg tech is certainly, again, a very popular and necessary space where we need innovation. So this is a great company showing that they know how to do that. Very good. And then we had one called Yoti, Y-O-T-I, Yoti, which is a digital identity company making it safer for people to prove who they are. So this is kind of on the other side of the same mm. part of the business sector, as it were. This is free, reusable digital ID app that gives people a way to prove their identity, but it's also a key tool for a lot of companies, online businesses, anything from Facebook downwards, who need to know that they are dealing with people of a, an appropriate age for the product and so on. Did any of our judges particularly cast an eye on Yoti? Yes, I thought this was really interesting. So obviously ethical considerations at the heart of this as well in terms of what they're storing in terms of information and ID verification data. So they talked a lot about what they do and don't store, which was actually a key point for Synthesia, just talking about that one as well, because obviously there's a lot of information there that potentially could be um, mishandled, but the companies are putting these ethical questions at the front and foremost of everything they're doing. And Yoti's being very open. It was talking about publishing its findings and its progress and its success in a white paper every quarter to explain how accurate the tech is, which is obviously key when you're talking about corporate clients like Sainsbury's and other firms using them at the checkout to identify as someone trying to buy alcohol, are they of the right age and so on. But again, don't store that data after you've done the AI facial recognition. The home office are using this technology when it comes to child abuse cases and other things like that. So there's lots of applications and I think they answered the questions well in terms of how it's being used positively and to keep people safe online, which made me remember last year's overall winner, actually, 
Safe to Net, which has mm. a very um, similar outlook and objective. Very good. So in this group, we had also a company called Exclaimer, which is in the business of email signature solutions. So this is a, a marketing technique, really. It's empowering businesses to use the email as a key advertising channel, how your email ends, what's on the end of the email can attract the customer's attention, promote marketing campaigns, gather customer feedback and so much more. And there are billions and billions of emails out there and mostly they just kind of annoy us if we weren't expecting them, if they're not from people we know. And this is a way of making the email tool work much more efficiently. Caroline, I think you had a look at Exclaimer. What did you think? I did. For me, it was about what comes at the end of an email and it allows people to sort of say, right, we're going to be, they can now embed QR codes, they can signpost um, readers to webinars that they might be organising. But I suppose what I'm always looking for in, in these is the connection with with real people. And to me, that, that it was very much a service. I may be doing the company, dis, you know, injustice. I mean, it's very big. I mean, I can't remember what they said, 19 billion users worldwide. And they're obviously providing a great service to their customers. But yeah, my thing is the all these new technologies are absolutely wonderful. They speed things up. They make us do more things. But where's the people bit? Okay, thank you very much. I think they've, just to add to that, I think they've done something very clever that was born out of very, something very simple. And they made that point that a lot of their customers are big firms, big corporates, big financial institutions. And the sort of necessity for this is born out of a compliance need and then a sort of languaging slash marketing opportunity, really. And they've really captured and delivered on both of those. So, yes, that figure you were quoting, Caroline, I think they they said the average person sends 7,000 emails per annum. And last year, Exclaimer delivered the footer on 18 billion emails. So, um, again, huge, like some of the other companies, delivering in 160 countries across 100-plus languages. So certainly found a market for something that was originally very simple, but is certainly delivering something very clever. And bear in mind, these are everything we're looking at here. These are all entrepreneur-led UK startups that have kind of gone like a rocket, reaching enormous ranges of markets. We've got one exception, actually, which is in the field of legal services, which was actually an Australian startup, but then has come to Britain and been building a business very rapidly in this country. It's an online law firm providing unlimited legal services on a membership or subscription basis. And again, I think, Melissa, you, you quite like this one. I did. And um, yes, I think it is not even close to being sexy. I don't think anybody thinks, you know, legal services are, you know, very, very few people have sympathy for lawyers even. But my background um, is, is in that area. And the reason I really like this is I think there's something to be applauded about taking a problem not particularly reinventing the wheel with technology, but applying it in a different environment to really make a difference. And what I like about legal vision is they have turned a law practice into a subscription model, which is so much more accessible 
for small companies in lots of areas, whether it's, you know, the, the, the corporate side, the employment side, the, the commercial contract side. And having been a founder myself, as well as a lawyer on the other side, I know what the time, the costs, the overheads involved for both sides are like. And, you know, they are talking about moving into AI eventually, but I really respect their journey that, that they have these automated contract creation. They're looking at AI, but they're not running out there shouting buzzwords, AI, blockchain, which I think a lot of companies I see do that to try and grab some attention. And they've got a great growth plan. So it's, it's gone from just uh, doing a bit of work in the legal services to becoming a proper law practice to moving to a subscription model. They've had a real pivot three or four times as they've evolved. And now they're starting to look at AI as their technology's evolved. So it's, it's a really responsible market-driven growth trajectory they've been on that solves real problems for small businesses, which only supports growth more generally. And given it's a very scary industry, whether it's the cost or just the concept of being involved with lawyers, I really applaud what they've done. Very good. And I think it also has seemed a, a remarkably reasonably priced sort of entry point. If I remember correctly, it was £69 a week of the absolutely basic service. You obviously pay a bit more for anything complicated, but um, for a small business dealing with lawyers, that really sounds like a bargain. Very good. Well, that's that group. And then the third group we're looking at here in business services are, all, as I said, all to do with physical movements of goods and tracking the physical movement of goods and delivering them to the customer. We've got three in this category. I'll talk first about FinBoot. FinBoot uses blockchain technology to allow its customers in, for example, the energy sector, chemicals industry, to track and trace their supply chains, which become ever more complicated and interconnected. So they know where, you know, all the pieces are, all the components are, all the materials they need and so on, and they can properly respond to swiftly changing demand in their factories and in regulatory processes, all that stuff. So it's interesting because it's using blockchain. We associate blockchain almost entirely so far with the financial sector and particularly with cryptocurrencies, the amateurs like me understand blockchain as a kind of limitless virtual spreadsheet in which all the participants can record transactions and it's transparent to all the participants in the market. That's my understanding of it. This is applying it to physical supply chains in industry and it sounded like a jolly interesting use of the technology. Did anybody want to comment on that one? I think, I think you've done a good summary, Martin. I think the sort of message that stuck with me was that they're trying to help companies who are looking to transform their operations and become more sustainable, but those companies that want to actually then be able to evidence those green credentials rather than just sort of say it and, and run away and hope no one asks what that actually means. And they've got some impressive clients and investors, so certainly going well. Good. OK, and then, then we've got two more. SoPost from the northeast, where Caroline comes from, is a platform for online product sampling, helping brands and retailers to get physical product samples into consumers' hands in a way that's reducing waste and improving the return for the supplier, the manufacturer, on sending out the samples, making the whole use of samples in 
consumer businesses more efficient. Caroline, tell us about that. Thanks, Martin. They were the first people to take product sampling online, I believe. And the innovation really is, is absolutely, as you say, so that for the brand point of view, it actually it stops the waste that goes with mass giveaways and is helping brands target far more accurately people that they want to reach. The secret, apparently, is in the order filtering. They might try and make as sure as they can that the right person, back to the people again, the right person gets the, the right product or nothing at all which both cuts down on waste fairly obviously, stops customers, potential customers being abused. And by using, they make an enormous use of data, 2 billion data points, I think, to make sure that, you know, what they're doing is as sustainable as possible. That's sort of it in a nutshell. Very good. Thank you very much. So moving to the last of our 10 entrants for today's podcast, it's Habu technologies um this is a global e-commerce fulfillment provider what that means is that for any online seller of goods hubu can provide all the sort of back end the warehouse picking packing posting activity that any online seller needs but if you're a relatively small online seller and you don't want to own your own warehouse this is the alternative and it can be done for businesses of all sizes and it's done with a particular software and a concept which creates much more interesting and satisfying warehouse jobs for the hub manager in each case than the equivalent job in a giant amazon warehouse for example we met them three or four years ago they were a business that took off particularly well during COVID when many bricks and mortar retailers wanted to go online and sell online. This was a very efficient solution to the fulfillment side of doing that. And they've grown quite a lot since then. Again, Caroline, I think you quite like this one. I did quite like this one. When they were starting talking about the sort of 30% churn that you normally get in warehousing, which is a really difficult, boring job, which is also very physically demanding. By using software so that you can almost build micro warehouses, what you're doing is you're cutting down physical distance travelled by um, what they call hub managers and also giving people better quality jobs by putting the hub managers in touch with the customer. And I thought, hurrah, this is using software to really make jobs better for people who may not be that well-trained. There is also progression routes there that they've built in. So their churn is 2% a month rather than 15 to 30%. And they're beginning to identify different jobs. Yeah, I thought, and Caroline's just touched on it earlier, but just to say, I mean, we nearly fell off our chairs, I think, when we realised that the founder was talking about 15 to 30% turnover in staff per month at Alternative and competitor companies so the fact that they've got that down to about two percent is a game changer for their business thank you michelle so there we are those are our 10 businesses for this podcast all doing remarkable things in their respective sectors caroline thank you very much for your earlier point on that human element of the businesses that you particularly like 
Because actually when we look at these very advanced technologies, artificial intelligence, blockchain and so on, we tend to think that the technology is diminishing the human contribution. It's pushing the humans to the side and letting the machines take the lead. But you saw it in a different way and I wonder if you'd like to elaborate on that as part of our conclusion. Thanks, Martin. Yes, I just think it's really important. I think, you know, the world of work is changing enormously, and that's what's happened during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, sort of people got pushed to the margins and technology took over. And I think now that when we're looking at these really exciting new technologies, how they speed up the world, how they help reduce waste, how they make things simpler, we've always got to think about how they help people, help people make the best of themselves. And that's why I really like the Habu thing, because it was really thinking about the people who worked in a, in a warehouse environment and valuing them as people and how their jobs could be made better and more worthwhile and help them see progression routes. And that's, I think, what we're all interested in, isn't it? It's making the world a, a better place, people first, product second, and profit third almost. And that's what I'm interested in. The, the, what people can bring to them. Well, we could certainly have a debate about profit third, but let's not do that right now. But Melissa, did you have a sense of people first in the businesses we've been looking at today? I think, yes, indeed. I mean, I, I think particularly I, I advocated for legal vision and it's certainly not suggesting I put, I put lawyers first. I don't think that would be very popular, but um, I think it's about people doing jobs that should be done by people and spending their time doing the things they're good at, adding value to the people that they're serving, but also having that sense of well-being about the job that they do and not taking them out of the mix altogether. And I think that, you know, to Caroline's point about benefiting people, that can come in the form of removing waste from a sector, having an honest conversation as a company about what technology can meaningfully do to remove waste that does not genuinely need a person so that the money that's saved can be reinvested in the company, can upskill the existing workforce, give people the fulfilling human jobs and, and evolve in a much more productive and healthy way. So I, I think it's about finding that real focus for the technology in the business, not just replacing people for the sake of it, but identifying the dull and the mundane and the repetitive that genuinely can come out of a business and encouraging more skills and fulfilling work with reinvestment. Very good. Well, thank you both for those final words. And as I say, this is part of a series of podcasts looking at some of the very best new ventures in the UK today. In this episode, focusing on those providing services to other businesses using cutting-edge technologies to do so. We hope you've enjoyed it. We hope you'll want to hear more about The Spectator's Economic Innovator of the Year Awards. If you do, just go to spectator.co.uk slash innovator. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Thanks for listening to this podcast sponsored by Investech. To find out how Investech can help you personally or your business, visit www.investech.com.